You are now tuned are now in tuned to the December, December 26th podcast, December podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary, extraordinary on an ordinary, on an ordinary day. day. What's up, 26ers? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features Stefan Dingle. Stefan is a news anchor and reporter for WLKY, the CBS affiliate in Louisville, Kentucky. At just 29, Stefan has built an impressive career for himself. He's covered national news stories and even garnered an Emmy nomination, but the journey has not been easy. Stefan's story begins in Baltimore City, where he was raised by his grandmother. And despite his humble upbringing and losing his grandmother during his senior year of college, he eventually made his way to Columbia University, where he earned a master's degree in journalism. But the struggle wasn't over. Stefan was fired from three different jobs, and one of those firings was due to a viral video that many of us have seen. I won't give it away here because we get into all of it during our conversation. So go ahead, take a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Stefan, welcome to the December 26th podcast. How are you? Glad to be here. Doing Happy well. Saturday. Yes. I hear um, there was a good time had by all uh, oh, the yes. night before. Good the last fellowship, night. <laughs> you know, that's all it was. You know, some good fellowship with some good brothers. <laughs> but I knew you were going to be here in a oh, long absolutely. time. You're, you're a professional when oh, it comes yes. to this, which we'll get into. I try to be. <laughs> yes. All right. So let's get into it. Who is Stefan Dingle? Uh, well, in its current form, Stefan Dingle is a um, humble young Negro from Baltimore <laughs> City. Uh, grew up in the hood. Uh, whatever you probably think of Baltimore, that's where I'm from. Um, I think a lot of people see me in my current form as a, a morning news anchor um, in Louisville, Kentucky at the CBS affiliate there. Um, uh, in addition to anchoring the show, I'm also a reporter there, uh, which is a newer step for me. I'm coming up on a year there. Um, major transition for me, um, newly engaged, uh, which is a long time coming after dating uh, my fiance for three and a half years. And um, yeah, you know, Stefan is a, is a guy that is a um, I don't know how you want to describe it, but uh, a mixed bag, mm -hmm. mixed bag. And somehow I'm resilient enough to get myself to its current form, um, where I think a lot of people, uh, which still kind of blows my mind, they look to me for how to do things um, or are inspired, I should say. And and while I could see how things I've done are inspiring, it's just kind of behooves me because I don't think of it that way. Right. I just think of me doing what I got to do um, just because I was always taught growing up in the city, don't victimize yourself as a black man, you know? Um, so never get too high, never get too low. Um, that's why some people may call me, um, forgive my language, the lovable mm -hmm. because I'm very focused, you know? It's kind of like, oh, cool, you got that degree. All right, okay, so what's next? Right. You know, and what's I don't- next I don't on the list? Right, I don't dwell. It's kind of like, okay, checked it off, time to move on. Um, and so with that being said, I think that has guided, you know, who I am and even what I'm doing. You know, I worked in Birmingham, Alabama uh, before I got to Louisville. I was just a reporter mainly. Um, and that was a place where, you know, as you can imagine, you hear Alabama, you think of race, you think of civil Absolutely. rights. Absolutely. Um, and here I am, this black guy from Baltimore City who just graduated from school in New York City with an Ivy League degree. And, you know, I go, I had stints of working in Washington, D.C. and I have my first on-air TV job in Virginia. And boom, I'm in Alabama. And um, the first couple stories I'm covering there are uh, same-sex marriage passing nationally mm -hmm. and the Confederate flag issue. Wow, what a couple of stories to start. Right. right? Um, but I say that to say that in context, you know, and being there, it was a kind of a, you know, face-to-face -face encounter with 
how life really is outside of the fantasy land that we live in in our little bubble, especially New York, because I know they love to live in their bubble. They don't really like to leave, but there's <laughs> life outside of this here bubble. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to push myself out of my comfort zone. I felt like that was going to aid and abet my greatness, um, whatever that is, which I think is still ever forming, um, which I attribute to God and, you know, um, having a work ethic that was instilled by a grandmother who passed away in 2011. Um, and, you know, there I was in, in Alabama and you, you're, you're coming to a head with all the things that you've been, you know, taught and mm-hmm. things you've been raised on and, you're utilizing them. You don't even realize it, whether it's coming, uh, you know, coming to head with using your history degree uh, and having to talk to a, a Caucasian lady about the Confederate flag and her ancestors and right. their heritage. And you have to remind her, hey, y- y- you know, like your your ancestor might not have even wanted to fight that war. That's a rich man's war. You just know right. that? That was about slavery. So could you just, I don't know, for a moment understand how this could affect African-Americans and hear this African-American guy is asking her this? quite a time. Mm-hmm. And I, so I felt like I found, struck a good balance and, and it was, you know, it, it sometimes worked against me because the upward mobility had a cap. Right. And I worked harder than anybody in there. Did I get a lot of opportunities? Absolutely not. But, you know, I started to focus a bit. Um, and then before you know it, you know, somebody notices that, wow, this guy has got some talent and that's how I got to Louisville, Kentucky to be a morning anchor. I mean, think about that as a blessing. I'm, I've given up on anchoring because they didn't give me the opportunity to do it there. So I said, I'm going to focus on being the best reporter I can be. I'm going to cover the stories that matter in black communities um, or just in general. Um, and I'm just going to be great at what I do in my here assignment of what I can control. And somehow someone said, you know what? We think you'd be a good fit to sit on here on this news desk. Wow. Here we are a year later. Um, the show is number one. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. And you're, you're, you know, you've got corporate folks coming to your station and they're like, wow, you did, you guys did such a good job this morning. You know, um, you got, you, you go to the store to get your groceries and you, you can't go in and go out like you used to because people st- will stop you and they say, Hey, I watch you in mm-hmm. the morning. And they're appreciating you being exactly who you are. Right. Okay. So that's a good segue to the appearance that or, or the perception, I should say, uh, that people have of you via social media or what's on paper um, without knowing who you really are. Right. You know, because, listen, I, as professional as I can be, I also am a little ratchet, you know. I'm a <laughs> like city many kid. people who right, have come on right. this show. Exactly, right? And so when I, when I think about just the idea of the fact that I – can go to a baseball stadium and I can go be sitting at home and just randomly eating food and boom, there I am on TV, Mm -hmm. on a commercial. I'm on a billboard, you know. Um, When I come into any setting, I have the power to make somebody's day by them just seeing me and me saying hello. Absolutely. And I want to take it Back to the beginning in a yeah. moment, but since you've talked about your career trajectory to date, to date, and I think it's important to note that you're only 29. Only 29. So I've accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. But I think when people think about black men on television and news, there's often this perception that you've got to be jovial, affable at all times, a little bit meek. Mm-hmm. Um, should I say this? I'm going to say it. You know, the Bryant Gumbles of the world. Right. right? Um, the Bryant Gumbles of the world. Yeah, Tyrone Copple, you know, James. So (laughs) that you have to be that. And so you going into um, a market like Alabama Mm -hmm. and we know the racial history there. I mean, you couldn't pay me to live in Alabama, quite frankly. Um, But how do you balance the ability to speak up and standing in who you are and claiming your identity as a black man from Baltimore City, but also 
still climbing that ladder. Can you dig a little bit more deeply into that, how you've struck that balance and been able to hold on to yourself? Well, you got to remain true to who you are. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that sounds very simple and cliche, but um, that can never be more true when you're in the moment. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and one example I can point to um, is you we remember, what, three summers ago when we had um, shooting in Baton Rouge, the yes. shooting in Minneapolis, and then we had the Dallas shooting, right? And so when Minneapolis and Baton Rouge happened, um, we're sitting there, we're thinking about, okay, how are we going to cover the story? Um, oftentimes, they'll send a go team crew where we'll send a crew out of the state to go cover a big national story. And I always wanted to do that because my dream, my goal is to be a network correspondent who is going from one place to the next. Mm -hmm. Um, and they were kind of like, uh, oh, we don't know if we should go. And then all of a sudden the Dallas shooting happened and we got police officers shot. Right. And a black man did it. And all of a sudden we're in this meeting. I'm furious just by what's happening. Cause you do understand this happened in like a four to five day period mm -hmm. that, that in and of itself, I needed like eight mental health days. <laughs> I'm sure. But, but you still have to show up. Right. Almost, I'm like a triple minority. I'm a black man in news who happens to be a registered Democrat and is from North. Right. Oh, wow. And I was there in freaking Alabama when the 2016 presidential election happened. Still shook. That ha that day happened two days ago, three years or two years ago. Right. I was at the Hillary Clinton campaign party and I was excited because I was in Alabama at a Hillary Clinton campaign party. I was, right that, I was like, oh, Madam President. Oh, the Madam President elect. Right. And as it got to 1130 and uh, then when that switch happened and you're like, okay. And they came to me for the 10th time. Stefan, what's the mood like? Um, I, I don't really know. And it was literally me, my professional self and my personal self. Right. Of with, oh, like, is this really happening? And then guess what? In January of that following year, guess what I was doing? I'm at the presidential inauguration in D.C. covering it. And you're face to face. I covered Donald Trump on the campaign trail four different times. Okay. And every morning I'm on the news, I'm mm -hmm. having to read what Donald Trump says, which may make you sound incoherent at times, depending on how he tweets. Okay. But I say all that to say, like, it's, it's like, it's a real reality of you having to maintain who you are. Right. Unapologetically. Okay. Because people will try to change you. They tell you, oh, don't tweet about politics. Be unbiased. Be objective. Nothing's really ever objective. Right. It's all subjective. And I, I will say when DeMarcus, our producer, came to me and said, hey, you got to talk to Stefan. My first thought was, is Stefan able to talk freely? Oh, absolutely. Because, you know, we sort of, the, the viewing public often see mm -hmm. people. People on television is like yeah. talking head. Like somebody's behind you telling you, oh, yeah. you know, what you can say. I and love when people say that, though, because it's, mm -hmm. it's literally could not be farther from the truth. Mm -hmm. We report what we report and we're doing it in a journalistically ethical way. Um, and I will say that that's almost why I feel like our show is even number one in, in Louisville, mm -hmm. because there's a connection to viewers in the West End of the city that sure. are often forgotten or it's always about crime or whatever. And guess what? You go into the website right now and look at the stories that I've done. Most of my stories are about uplifting stories that are happening in the West End. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. This young black achievers program. Okay. Or these foster care adoption programs or any highlighting any type of good that happens. And when I'm sitting there on the desk and people are tuning in in the morning as they're getting ready for school, starting their day, I'm being authentically who I am, whether it's us talking about a viral cat video or whatever. Right. If it's a, a collective black people, nah, bruh, I'm going to be the guy you can count on black, nah, bruh. <laughs> 
It's and not people, going down people, like and that. And people, people re, like they like that. Mm-hmm. That's the authenticity. I'm not going to say, oh, that cat sure. Wow. I would love to have one. <laughs> no, I don't want it. Like my, my coworkers, when we're doing our cross chat, they know I don't like alligators. I don't like snakes figuratively or literally. Um, I don't, I don't like to be too far off the ground and don't put me in a deep body of water. Although I can swim contrary to the stereotype that mm-hmm. black people can't swim. I can swim. I just don't, I just like my feet touch the ground. I'm six, three. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, not big I on like, open like, bodies of water like either. touching the ground. <laughs> and even when the ocean, I don't know what could come up and get me. I don't know what's seeing me from afar. So I am very much authentically who I am. And if there's something that's, that's cool, oh yeah, I'm going to give exactly how I feel about it. Sometimes I got to rein me in because you're not going to, you know, mm-hmm. black as hell. But you know what I mean? It's like there's a way to do it. You know, right. there's a way of being smooth. And my whole goal is to change the perception as to what black men on TV is supposed to be like, you know. Sure. Who do I look at? I look at Lester Holt. Love Lester Holt. Mm-hmm. I know his son who works here in New York, you know, um, have the phone number type stuff, you know, and, and even that, just your your ability to be touched. Right. Okay? And not losing that touch. That is why I do everything that I do in the way that I do. I give off this uh, this sense of being regal. Mm-hmm. Um, some may call me bougie. There's part of me uh, that is, um, but probably the most down to earth bougie guy uh, because shoot since I was young oh you talk so white oh what does that mean what what does that mean and so my goal was to to always just appear um as a professional uh regal sense of self as a black man or black boy I should say you know black boy jewelry growing up like even when I was a kid my mom who I I would tell people if you had to put a lineup of three families on a on a stage you would never guess what my family is Mm -hmm. because we are ratchet as hell okay Good as hell, okay? Um, to the point where you almost, you know, you just be embarrassed, low-key, like, oh, my Lord, please let them act right. And then they do. You know, a, a, lot of, a lot of folks have that story and that experience. Or when your worlds collide, yeah. as yours will, soon yeah. at this wedding. Oh, it did at the engagement. <laughs> That's why we didn't talk about no wedding plans until after Thanksgiving. I had to look, okay? That's when you have the moment where you're like, okay, my professional circle, my, you know, academic circle from school, my family circle. And then if you add a church circle to that, you could just forget it. It's just way too many different people all together. And and that's also, (laughs) to that point, that's why it's so important to be authentically yourself. Right. Because I can only be me. Mm -hmm. Um, I tell people all the time, I'm a lovable ass that will tell you just how it is. Okay. And sometimes probably joan on you a little too much, but at the same time, you got to know how to be that reinforcer of of positivity Mm -hmm. and optimism, um, which, you know, your brother could tell you all about that, you know, because that that's literally kind of life in a, in a, in a nutshell, in a vacuum. And as as a fellow successful person, it's about that balance, right? you know, because you're harder on yourself than anybody could. People don't realize that. You know, when folks come at, come at you with uh, wanting this advice or want to give you advice about your game plan that you didn't had thought out since you were 12. Exactly. And you're like, oh, no, that's not going to work. That's yeah, not no. going to work. People don't realize, 26ers especially, nine times out of 10, you know, my vision in my mind right now is on like 2030 or 2035. They don't realize this. In to- my mind, 20, <laughs> 2018 is over. Yes, exactly. Like this was thought out way long ago. Yeah. People don't understand that. Like you're talking to me about advice for now. We got this plotted, right? right? We on to the next two decades. Right. And I even tell people, I'm like, I'm like, just the mere way that I plot my life out. I mm-hmm. said, I low-key could be a life coach. And I wouldn't do it because I feel like I need to be a little bit more trained to like, you know, curtail certain things. Mm-hmm. But like, just the mere idea of getting started, people don't understand how powerful it is to have right. a game plan and to know, hey, all right, coach, here's the game plan. Let's stick to it. Right. Because a lot of people, they come with all these different ingredients and they don't know how to put it in a bowl, how to mix it, how to bake it and make it do what it do. Mm-hmm. You know, they open the oven a little too early and then they deflate themselves and they start back at square one because they're trying to restart all these new things. Before you know it, you're 40 and you're still trying to get this life that you 
was wanting when you were 21. Right. Okay. My biggest fear, and I know you're going to relate because we kind of talked about this. My biggest fear is not having something to look forward to. I hear you there. Period. It's like, if you're not working towards something or having something to look forward to, why are you living? Like, I, I will never understand folks that just wake up, just taking life as wherever the wind blows. It's, it's sometimes I understand, you know, mm-hmm. you want to just live carefree. Okay, great. They don't laugh so long because the bills still got to be paid. And you got to think about what is the legacy you're going to leave behind. Right. Okay. If your day comes today or tomorrow, God forbid, what are people going to be saying at your funeral? What impact are people, are people going to be, you know, recipes to whoever, whoever all over the internet? You know what I mean? Like you got to really think about what impact you're going to have. Like will people be able to say, wow, you're a good woman. She was a good woman. Right. Or Stefan was a good man who tried to help people because that's what I want. Right. I mean, because I'm, I'm a big believer in the master above, you know, mm-hmm. and I almost get chills saying it because I think we are so ambitious in what we do that um, for some people to the out, on the outside, they don't understand how big of a factor God is in what mm-hmm. we do. Okay. Um, even when he gives us the big stuff and people think, oh, it's lit. It's like, Lord God, this is big and I, I need you to keep me humble. Right. Because humility goes a long way and sometimes it will um, it will almost be a test to see what you can do with big stuff. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, we live in a time where you can be huge today <laughs> and then yesterday's news. No pun Dude, intended. Like, literally, you know, you're everywhere one moment and you know i i struggle with insomnia sometimes and i find you know in the middle of the night i'm that person that's like whatever happened to that dude that was like hot and everywhere a year ago then i'm googling and realizing that you know he's back to his regular life after that viral video or what have you so i think humility is not only now like just a test for what you can handle but just a necessity because you never know when the tide's going to turn and hopefully you have a vision for your life and you're consistently investing so that whatever you're trying to build and that legacy you're trying to create there's a continuum there and you are not a flash in the pan but like we, there's so much coming at us from yep. so many different angles that you have to be consistent oh, yeah. and remain humble I think but at here's this the point X factor. if you're a believer in God or whatever you may believe in because mm-hmm. I believe that somebody's got to believe in something to get through this thing yeah. in life okay so whatever you believe in, I believe in God. He laughs at our plans. Absolutely. But here's the here's the plot to us. We got to have a plan mm-hmm. because really, if you stick to the purpose and you listen to God and you listen to your heart and you listen to the intuitions of things that will be placed in your life intentionally, right? right you got to think about okay, here's the main line. I might have to shift around this this rock in the mm-hmm. street. But are you still on the line? Because the adjustments will come and you've got to position yourself for the blessings that God has already gone ahead and taken care of and is going to do for you. Right. And you got to believe that one, you know, they say, oh, oh, God's going to blow your mind. Is he really? Are you listening? Because mm-hmm. if you're listening, the mind blowing part is when you see it all before you. Right. Whereas my pastor said a few weeks ago, wow, imagine like think about think about being in the movies, right? When we go and we watch the movies, you know, there's always the previews, right? Mm-hmm. You know, all the popcorn up before the movie start, all of that. And the previews never show you what's going to happen in the movie. Right. They tease and say, this is going, this is kind of what it's about. This is what's going to happen. And it's, and it's coming out three months from now. Right. Right. Think about your life and your success in God's will for you. Okay. He has almost provided a preview for you by the very things that you're doing the things you attained on paper, Mm -hmm. the perception that people have of you because there is a bigger plan. So what would you do if you already knew what the end result was going to be? You would be thanking God loudly, boldly everywhere, right? In such a humble sense where you would try to figure out how to bring people up with you. Right. And in a sense, I feel like that's exactly what I'm doing. Everything I'm doing, even being on TV, I never imagined that that would happen, okay? Actually, the mere fact of how that happened was so organic by my mere surroundings. 
things, you know. You got people, oh, you know, they want to they embrace this struggle to come up. And some people don't struggle to come up. They right. have two parents in their home. They're fine. They're taken care of. And you got them all of a sudden want to embrace the struggle. Oh, well, I came from a single parent. No, it's fine. Mm -hmm. Now, in my in my case, look, I haven't seen my father since I was five years old. Okay. Um, one day I would love to see him. Am I going to hold it against him? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Thank you for that sperm, sir, that turned out to be golden. And that I say that all the time as someone who has a strained relationship yeah. with my father as well. You know, even though that history is not great, I always say I honor him for the for his role that he played in getting me here. Thank you. Right. So this is all just about destiny. That is all it is. And here's the thing. Nothing will humble a man or woman more when they see something that they could have been a part of. Right. And it becomes great. And that person that you know you have done wrong mm -hmm. or that you did not step up and do your part for. They forgive you right? and they um, embrace you and they still welcome you in to show you better because that's something you have to deal with at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to sleep, sleeping fine. Now, most times I can't sleep because I'm always thinking about what's next. You know? Right. But in a situation like that, I'm, I'm good to go. Right. I'm at peace. Okay. Um, and, I, and I attribute that to a loving grandmother. Okay. Who, like I said, passed away in 2011. Um, you know, like I said, I didn't see my father since I was five. My mom, um, who had me when she was 16 years old. Okay. Um, young, out there, fast, you know. Um, and the only reason why that I'm here is because my grandmother forced her to have me. I'm talking like in the labor room, you're going to get through this. We're going to push it out. And so the running joke of my family is always, oh, you know, I only had you for your grandmother. <laughs> You know, because I was a grandmother's boy, you know, I literally she'd be ready to leave out the door. I'm like, I can remember me as a little kid, like hanging around her leg because I wanted to go too. Um, and so my grandmother taught me a lot of things, um, domesticating me early. So like eight years old, I'm out here worrying about what the, but do we have enough money to pay the bill? That's not something eight years should be worried about. Right. But, when but back you, in the day. When you grow up in a non-traditional situation, it does like kind of force yeah. you into or propel you into adulthood a lot more quickly. Well, yeah. You're just aware of the realities of life. Even if your caretakers are not intentionally bringing right. you in, it just happens. Well, yeah. It's the well, way yeah. it goes. It, it's when, when stuff is real, there's no time to fake it. Right. Okay. And I and when I say that, I mean it to the point of um, my grandmother was a heavier set lady. She worked for the city of Baltimore in public work. So she was a supervisor, crew leader. Um, and then she had a health um, issue that forced her to retire. And so, you know, she was, the, we always say, you know, she could she could prepare a meal from the side of bed upstairs. She'd tell me to go get the green pepper, <laughs> onion, bring the knife and the cutting board or the plate um, and the potatoes. And she would legit cut it and prepare it and then tell me what to do. And I would go downstairs and cook it. Wow. And she would tell me what to do. Okay. I remember cooking her a steak. Fried potatoes was her favorite. Okay. Um, and she would uh, also like give me money to, with the list, and I would catch the bus and go get the groceries. Eight years old. Okay, so let's 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 talk a little bit more yeah. about. Let's unpack that whole living in Baltimore. What is this? The nineties at this yeah, point? 90s, right? Yeah, nineties, two thousands. Um, because a lot of people when they hear Baltimore City, mm -hmm. they think the Wire immediately. Like that's their now only. Now it's the riots. Yes, th that's their only like kind of vision or view right. of what mm -hmm. Baltimore is. But what was it like at th at that time? Um, so it, it's interesting that you ask that because really life in Baltimore is literally the reason why I do what I do today mm -hmm. uh, because it was like kind of all these different different sections and pockets of life in Baltimore kind of came to a head. And my grandmother played a huge factor in that in the sense of living in the hood. Look, I knew who the drug dealer was. I 
knew who the uh, crackhead was. I knew who the junkie was. I knew who the prostitute was, the undercover cop, um, the dirty cop. Mm-hmm. You knew them by name. Now, when you're among those people in the neighborhood, ain't nobody finna hurt you. You know these folks. They know your folk. You know, it's cool. Right. It's the folks that's not from around there. And when we know that you're not, that's kind of where things get dicey. And that's where I could see where people are like, oh, my God, you might get robbed. Ain't nobody worried about you, you mm-hmm. know? Um, but as stuff would happen in my neighborhood, you know, I saw my first dead body when I was, what, maybe nine, ten years old, you know? And not wow. like up close, like, oh, dang, bro, she did. But like police being there and they got Caution tape. tape. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm looking under there and I see the body. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Be scared to go home. And I had all lights on in the house, which I got yelled at for. But, you know, be scared. <laughs> Running up the right? light bill. Like, all right, I got to go upstairs. <laughs> Why are you making me go downstairs to get this ice out the refrigerator? <laughs> um, <laughs> but once that stuff would happen, I would ride my bike and my rollerblades around the corner to wherever I heard the police going. And I would go sit there, watch it all happen. So were were those your early reporting days? Low key. But (laughs) get this, it gets better. And I would, after I would do that, once the scene cleared, ride my bike, roll a blade back around the corner. Grandma's sitting on the porch. I would literally tell her everything that happened. You know how black folks are. You know, it'd be like, (laughs) oh, the sky is blue. Like, yo, the sky was blue as you know what. So it was dope. And it's like, no, it's just blue, bro. (laughs) But like, I was sitting there telling every Mm -hmm. detail, right? And so um, the other side to this is that, in getting me ready for school, like her, one of her coworkers would always come pick her up for work and I would catch her out with them on their way because my school would be on the way there. And um, she used to wake me up at 5.58 every morning and we watched the news. Don Scott, Marty Bass, two male anchors in the morning. Wow. Okay, that shows you like how dated this is. Um, and I knew when it was um, uh, Don Scott's voice because he had this nice calming voice just like this. And imagine you're sleeping. You say your time now is 6.01. It happened in Baltimore. And it's like we just knew <laughs> that was Don Scott. And every Monday they had their little jingle they would do called Manic Monday. So this guy named Ron Matz who still works there in Baltimore, um, they would always have a guest on and they would give him a mug and they would say, just another Manic Monday. And my grandma would be sitting there crying. I'm like, why are you crying? Crying. Like, why are you crying? <laughs> she was a crier. I think that's why I don't cry a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but all those things became routine. And little did I know, she was actually helping me to become a journalist. And I don't think that she even knew she was doing. She was just literally tapping into things that were before me. Um, and so she used to call me Mr. WJZ. That's the name of the station. As I would go around the corner and figure out what's going on. So I was like her little like FBI agent. Like anytime like somebody be sitting on the porch and I know she ain't like, Grandmother, such and such sitting on the porch. She'd be yelling <laughs> out the window, get out my damn porch. You know, stuff like that. And I was like, people hated me for it. But I was like, I don't care. It's my grandmother. Um, um, and so anyway, you fast forward uh, to me going to college, first generation college student. My mm-hmm. grandmother, I mean, my mother was imprisoned um, during all of my high school years. Wow. So, you know, firstborn son graduating from high school and boop, there she's not there. Um, and I still have this photo to this day of my grandmother being there. She was sitting in a chair. She had her cane with her and I'm hugging her with my cap and gown. And to me, it's always a good signifier for mm-hmm. me uh, when I when I measure how proud my grandmother would still be of everything that I'm doing today. Um, and, that, and that's one of the things that still bothers me you know it could get me emotional just because I'm like wow I wish you could just see your body of work right okay um but nonetheless graduated high school um I even lived with a white family during high school because I ended up going to a private Catholic school to play sports, which I didn't start playing baseball until I was in seventh grade at this ratchet middle school that I had to go to because mm-hmm. it was my zone school. And um, I had just started playing baseball. Like, I didn't really want to, you know, I didn't have any experience in sports. You know, dad isn't there. You don't know anything. I was a nerd, really. Um, and so this white guy, older guy, his name is Ralph Sears. He has since passed away. Um, was like, try to look at my school, my, my grandson 
goes there. His grandsons had a history of going to the school, Mount Carmel High School. He was one of the big donors. I mean, if you saw this guy, you'd think he was homeless, had all the right. money. Right, that's that you know? quiet money. Right, hello. Mm-hmm. And so um, ended up getting me to come visit the school in Shadow. And I'm thinking, like, again, this mindset, well, I don't know how we're going to pay for it. It was literally my only thought. Not, oh, I could go there and we'll figure right. it out. I was like, I don't know how we're going to pay for it. And somehow he made it work. And so he's like, you know what? You move in with my um, my granddaughter because I have to pick up my great-grandson because he goes to the same school. It's like a K through 12 school. Mm-hmm. He's like, and I could just pick you up and, you know, I'll take both of you guys to school. And I'm like, wow. So, so he just, so he says you should look into this school. You I check it out. Him. They loved me. They came to my grandmother's house. She lived in the city. And the uh, the principal at the time and the headmaster came and, and they walked me into the school. And I was like shook. I'm like, wow, this is the first time I'm like feeling like I've accomplished something mm-hmm. I'm being invested in, you know. And so um, I get to this school. I'm going there for baseball, you know. Um, and so I felt like I owe them. Right. Now you and feel so, like I have to excel. I have to do well. Yeah. And you know what I did? I was I was the usually the first one there with mm-hmm. Mr. Mr. Ralph in the mornings when it was time to volunteer for festivals, helping set up, helping to clean up. I was always doing community service. Um, uh, I was kind of like, you know, the guy that was everywhere. If they had a bull roast, okay, cool. I'm going to come help with that too, you know. Um, and so in me playing baseball, cool, came on a veteran team and all of a sudden the uh, admissions uh, director was like, oh, you're a tall guy. You ever played basketball uh, not organized played in the hood and right alley, of course you know what I mean? and with the crate you know that's so how to learn how to play basketball so i was on jv for a couple of years and i was also like the varsity team's manager um got bumped up uh, after my jv sophomore season was over and we ended up winning championships wow um in high school for basketball so i got two rings for that um baseball was a three-time all-state uh, captain. Um, and then the other X factor was I ended up playing men's volleyball and really two time all state in men's volleyball. And so here I've excelled through this school, have t- pretty much turned into a three sport athlete, um, took our volleyball team from like being 0 and 19 to like, we were in the newspaper for like being like awesome. And so here I am going to my senior year and it's time to look at college and there's somebody there to like look over application. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I couldn't have told you what a HBCU was. I just knew it was the black schools and stuff like that, but I didn't know what that meant. So uh, I was flown out to different schools for my baseball abilities. I was also recruited for volleyball, but I was like, it's kind of scared. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Volleyball doesn't seem trustworthy, you know? It's right. Like, not the popular thing to do, especially since I wasn't a basketball player uh, or wasn't going to go to college rather to do it. And so um, ended up at St. Mary's College of Maryland where I got into this diversity program. Um, you know, say, hey, we're going to get a free laptop and I have to pay a dime my whole freshman year. I'm like, mm-hmm. let's go. Sold. But, yeah. And it was an honors college too. And, and and literally that school is the reason why I have the foundation I have today on my way of thinking. Um, you know, the, the standards are a little different academically. Um, it forces you to not only make an argument in class, but be a part of the conversation and know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So history doesn't sound that enticing to folks, but, you know, you got to also understand that my freshman year of college was when Barack Obama was elected president. Huge deal. Game big, changer. Big, big deal. Game right. changer. I legit, that was the start of me like knowing I got to know my Mm-hmm. I got to know because I remember my athletic director's wife was just like, okay, um, why are you voting for him? Because he's black. And my mom like, yeah. <laughs> but I felt so embarrassed. I'm you didn't like, want to say that. But I, it was that moment where I realized I had to know my stuff because I would never want to be in such a vulnerable position again. Okay. And so anyway, I go to college and I play baseball. I'm the only black player on the team. I mean, he had a Irish guy, but I didn't really count him. You know, like <laughs> authentically black, like both my parents black. That's me. I never hung out with them outside of 
like the the the, the field mm-hmm. um, or at least not often you know because eventually it was like sunday fun day i'm like i don't even drink beer but i'm gonna go and do my homework now and i was also sj class president for three years so had a lot going on um so i went straight from there uh, my, my senior year is when my grandmother passed away i was at baseball practice when it happened still to this day the most devastating day of my life i can relate which is why i want to i want to yeah. pause there yeah. and unpack a, a couple of things yeah. because first and foremost i think your your story highlights a couple of important points mm-hmm. one you always hear these stories about people of color who have all this natural athletic ability mm-hmm. who are discovered late in the process but somehow still are able to maximize in a sense and and really excel which speaks to opportunity yeah. right and and I have been similar to you. I've been fortunate to go to schools that my family couldn't afford to send me to. And I would see, I remember walking on soccer fields, seventh grade year, never having played an organized sport before, but like picking up the ball and making it happen, walking to play basketball. But these kids were like groomed for this from the time they were old enough to play sports or do AAU or whatever, having private coaches and all this other stuff. Mommy's got the van with all the Yes, exactly. With the (laughs) snacks and the Capri Suns. And like, you're just rolling in trying to figure it out. which is why you know, I'm so passionate about this concept of making sure kids have opportunity mm-hmm. as early as possible because I always wonder, like, what else could have been if you were, oh, you know, yeah. if you were starting to be groomed much, much earlier. But also connected to that, what I also want to highlight is the the it, it almost makes me emotional because grandparents in the black community and parents, even if they don't know, your grandmother didn't know necessarily that like journalism is what you could do or what you should do, but sowing those seeds and literally making something out of nothing and that's not just in a tactical sense making a meal out of the little bit or keeping the lights on with what little they had but also making us something they didn't even have the history or maybe even the foresight to know exactly what you could be but saying i'm going to invest in you and i'm going to speak over your life with what understanding i have albeit limited to know that you can be more than I could be. And there's something to me that you can't attach a value to that. No, I didn't get an inheritance. You know, you know, you're not a trust fund baby, but that mm-hmm. you cannot attach a dollar amount to how valuable that is and instrumental in helping you yeah. to create your legacy as well. Yeah, and I think I and I and I, and that's why I say that day was the most devastating because I could see what she was trying to do and it was always, well, I wish I could give you this. Yeah. I wish I could do this. And what she doesn't know that it was already enough yeah it was already enough and she taught me everything that she needed to teach me to the point of um and I didn't even really mention this because you know just of what we've been talking about but look there were a lot of times we didn't have lights for months mm-hmm. we didn't have heat okay we, you know we 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 uh sometimes had five dollars to our name and we were figuring out what we're gonna eat that you night. gotta stretch that five and she would send me to the Chinese store and I'll get those dollar cheeseburgers and <clears throat> You know, she would, uh, I would get two of them and then we'd sit there and share one or she would allow us to eat and she wouldn't. And me being the inherited grand grandmother's boy that I was, oh, grandmother, I'm only going to eat half I'm, mm-hmm. I'm and give her the rest, you know, um, or or if I was ever at a place where there was food there, okay, I'm make sure I'm bringing Take some stuff home. home. Um, and when we didn't have lights, you know, you know what she did? Lit a candle when we play cards and we know how to laugh. In spite of. Finding the levity in spite exactly. of whatever's going on. We, it, we didn't allow those circumstances to take us out. Um, and, and, and so, 
you know, when you have someone uh, like a giant like that mm-hmm. gone. Right. I Like I can still feel what I felt then. It That day as having experienced that and, you know, your senior year of college was my last year of law school. I was wow. like five weeks off wow. law school graduation. I know what you mean because it is embedded in your bones. Yep. That pain yep. and Everything shifts. And you know, and you know that everything that is happening from this moment forward, you need to mentally document. Yep. Because you're that intuitive of a person where you want to make sure you remember what it was like. Yep. Almost like as if it you would you you wish that it was like a documentary crew could just document every emotion that you had so you can go back and just look at it mm-hmm. if you want to. But being a history major, being this person who at that time I was literally in the middle of trying to do my Columbia application to figure out grad school. And I didn't know how like I was gonna write it. I didn't do the essay yet. I'm like, uh and let me tell you how God works. That day happened. Um, my roommate happened to be going home. He lives just outside of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, this happened. I'm in this car ride for two hours. I mean, sitting here kind of silently sobbing, not saying a word to him. Okay. And he pulls me up to this, you know, um, low income elderly home where she was. Um, and they did not move her body because they knew that I had to be there. And how old was she? She was only 59 years old. 59. I was 22. Okay. Even the sense of that, mm-hmm. okay? This happened in 2011. Here we are seven years later. She would be 66, okay? That's a lot more life to live. Absolutely. She should be seeing all this greatness, okay? Um, and so even Baltimore police was willing to send a, an officer with a car with sirens to come and get me because that they knew my role in being kind of like the breadwinner of my family. So at 59, she died at home. Yes, because she also had sleep apnea okay. and some other issues mm-hmm. and... Even that, if I could break it down for a bit, I feel like she knew she was going to die. Mm-hmm. And she did not tell me because she knew I would drop everything mm-hmm. and make sure that I was there. And I remember the last time I saw her, which is with the last pictures I took of her, which is, you know, on my phone, if I can clear this, um, it's kind of like, you know, it, it's one of those things where... This is the last photo I took with her. Wow. And this was after church on a Sunday before I was going to go back to school. And I remember I had to almost lie to her. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be right back. But no, I was going to go start the school year. Mm-hmm. And she was just so adamant about like, oh, you're coming right back, right? And so when I think back about that, and I remember even before that day, we were we were with each other uh, that week prior, sitting on the side of bed. And, and I always said, I was like, you know, she's the only woman who can get me to cry on cue. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, we were sitting on the side of bed. She's like, oh, Stefan, when I'm dead and gone, she's like, we should record this. I can just say whatever, how I feel about everybody. You could play it at my funeral. And I was joking, like, grandmother, shut up, you know, uh, right. whatever. And it was, I, I think in hindsight, I really realized she was setting me up to live my life and how she had done, she had done her deed. And she was coming to grips with whatever it was, which still gets me emotional mm-hmm. thinking about it in hindsight. What a sacrifice. Right. What a sacrifice for, from a person who never really had much. Okay. Um, the youngest of all her siblings only 59 years old and was a giver. She was like, I'll call her the gangster granny because she was like literally the person in the community where she knew the the dude who was the tranny. She do the the crackhead and everybody would come over and she loved she, everyone. She really loved everyone. Even when they did her wrong, she would still help them. And it's like, wow, what a lesson, right? Mm-hmm. So um, as she's there and I always said, I would never touch a dead body. I remember walking to, I can tell you I can see it right now I'm walking down the hallway all my family members are there random people and they're just looking at me they're looking to me see what my reaction is going to be mm-hmm. like and I'm looking stoic I'm walking in and boom she's laying there as if she's sleeping and I just broke down right and then I asked people just got the room and it was just me and her and I'm just like wow 
Wow. And you know that is the end of an era. That's it. Like, that that's is it. it. And you think I'm funny. You know, I'm literally the male version of her. As youthful as you see me being at 29 mm-hmm. and how jokey I can be, that was her at her age. Okay. Um, and so here I am at 22 years old planning a funeral on my own. Where is your mom at this point? My mom still getting her life together. Mm-hmm. Um, she was released from prison at the end of my first semester in college. And she was in prison, not jail. I want to make this like yes. clear. Yes. Like Doing real time. Out. We had to drive out to go and, you know, see her. Mm-hmm. And boom, there I was to go pick her up and give her first meal and all that. I mean, it's just, just the, the optics of that. It's, just, right. it's crazy, right? So there I am to plan a funeral, to go down to the city offices, to figure out what type of benefits, because we ain't got no money. Right. So you're trying to figure out if there's a Social Security death benefit. Yeah. You and, know. And, and by the grace of God, it was. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and then I'm there to have to wrangle in all the family members, all of her children. I'm there to, I mean, I literally knew what to do. She like prepared me. I mm-hmm. didn't realize how much she prepared me until... It happened. I knew it was still on the play. Um, she always told me she wanted to be cremated. So I kind of let her have a cake and do it too. Gave her open casket funeral and got her cremated. Um, this ring that I have on my finger, every time I put it on and take it off, you know, love your grandmother every time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And some of her remains are in this ring. Wow. It's a keepsake ring. And I have it on my right hand because I say she was my right hand woman. She was always so fearful of where I was going to go after college and, oh, could she come too? And to be honest, if she was still alive, she'd be living with she'd me. She'd be right there with you. Okay. Yes. And so I look at this as a, a sign of symbolism um, that she's always with me um, in all things that I do. Um, and it, it, in a weird way, um, me and my college roommate who dropped me off up there, we had already had plans to go to New York because I was going to visit Columbia and just kind of see what it was like. And then I missed two weeks of school. Mm-hmm. You know, I was taking 19 credits. I was an SG class president. I'm in my senior year. I'm a student athlete. That's a lot. Right. And I remember I went to see a counselor to finally talk about it because it was like, that was a lot. Um, but it was also the beginning of where I started to um, get more in tune with gospel music. Listen to Mississippi Mass Choir in the basement of the the, the computer lab and listening to Near the Cross. Well, you I'm were taking it up. to show enough gospel. Shook it. <laughs> Because I'm trying to understand what what state of mind my grandmother may have been in, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and to this day, between Near the Cross and Having You There, like, that's the grandmother's song. Because mm-hmm. I think of Having You There, you made the difference. And I remember when I would sing that song in the beginning of that first year, I could cry every time. She looked, she wanted me to play Eye on the Sparrow at the, at, the, at, at the funeral. Oh, it just takes me out every time. Don't even play mom. Oh, oh, Jesus, you know? Right. But what happened there was I all of a sudden started to gain my confidence back. And it was like, since her death, God blessed me even more. Okay. Because the whole story I just told you about me becoming a journalist and her making me do that, that became the the basis of why do you want to be a journalist? I told them that story. And then we had to do a personal essay. You know what I started out with? Because, you know, you have to have grabbers, right? Right. My grabber was re-describing uh, answering the door at eight years old when um, the the SWAT team or the police uh, raiding your house because there's drug activity. And that wasn't uncommon. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me tell you. My grandmother was an awesome woman, okay? Smoked weed every day of her life. <laughs> every day. And sometimes sold a little on the side to get the money. In. Just to, had to make it and happen. And that's what. And that's what it was, mm-hmm. okay? She had it in her little crown roll bag, wrapped it up, put it in the purse tuck it up under the, uh, up under her, her pillow. I slept with my grandmother until I was like 11, okay? Because that's just what it was, mm-hmm. you know? I was a little skinny guy who gave off a lot of heat. She always pushed me away, you know what I mean? Like, those things. She told me how to give a massage. I, she was sitting on the bed, like, Stefan, get back there. I'm just, just do it like this. Use your, use your thumbs. <laughs> that's how I know how to do everything, okay? So um, that became the basis of, of my application to Columbia. And for the next five months, I just kept contemplating, well, why, why would I get into Columbia? 
you know, I'm just this Negro kid from Baltimore City. You know, I don't know much. People think I'm smart. I'm just, I'll be trying to act like I'm smart, uh, you know, being resilient. And um, first started happening. You know how that yes. goes. Her birthday was March 10th, okay? Ooh, goodness. Here we go, right? Uh, my aunt, who's her sister, her only living sister, who she was just starting to get closer with again when it happened. Her birthday is two days later, March 12th. Then March 15th comes. It's decision time for Columbia. I was sitting in the Starbucks across the street from that university, opened up that email and say, you've been accepted to this school. Wow. Wow is correct. I'm like, I still shook. Right. Okay. And I said, wow, God. I said, grandmother, thank you. I said, if I don't get anything else, I'm good with this. Thank you. Okay. Six days later, March 21st, I'm getting a call from NBC News say, you've been accepted to the internship program and you're going to be an intern at the Today Show. Wow. So things at this point are like rolling. Grandmother, thank you. Mm -hmm. If I don't have anything else, I'm good with this. The 26th come. That's my birthday. Okay. The first one without her. And just by chance, show you how God works. I remember the year prior when I was turning 22. Okay. I didn't answer the phone because I, I was like hype. I was like, I'm putting my phone on airplane mode. I had a school field trip on a Saturday. Um, so I was like, oh, I want to turn my phone and see all the messages. And so my grandmother had called me and I missed it. She left a voicemail. That would be the last birthday voicemail that I, every birthday I re-listened to that voicemail. And on that voicemail, um, she said, Stefan, this is your grandmother. I don't know why you're not answering the phone, but happy birthday to you. <laughs> happy birthday to you, to my firstborn. Happy birthday to you. You're going to have joy all day. Call me back when you get this. You're going to have joy all day. You know, it's, it's, they don't, I think a lot of times black grandmas don't even know how prophetic they are. It's just in them. To hear the voice. Yeah. You're going to have joy all day. So of course, on my birthday, I'm all shook us. Of course. And then... The 31st comes. It's the last day of the month. And March is like my month now. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm on my way to baseball practice. I'm like, man, I'm good to go. I don't need nothing else, God. You have blessed me. Thank you. New York Times is calling. Stefan, we want to uh, welcome you to the New York Times Student Journalism Institute. Uh, we're going to fly you to New Orleans for two weeks, the day after you graduate from your college. Um, just let us know the information, um, and we're going to book that flight for you. Free of charge. Wow. So the the opportunities, it's like you were equipped. You yes. were equipped for the next My mind was phase. blown week by week. And it was like my grandmother showed up mm -hmm. at each of those steps. And it was just humbling, you know. Um, and then to fast forward to graduation, you know, uh, here I am, this SGA class president, having to give a speech to my peers, okay. And then, you know, my mother's showing up, my brothers, um, my sister, my mentors, um, and in my pocket, that's my grandmother's photo, you know, and I'm just trying to hold it together. And I wasn't able to. By the time I get to front of people, I was good. But, mm -hmm. you know, it was just a humbling thing. And it was just like, wow, I'm the, I'm a first generation college student graduating this university. And, and headed to way. Columbia. And I'm on, I'm on and my way to an Ivy League school to be a journalist. And the Today Show and the and New the York Today Times. Show. And just, I mean, Wow. Right. And so that kind of start the path, you know, and, and so you wonder why all that matters. Right. Because your original question, you know, why do you do what you do? You know why? You know, you can be the Brian Gumbles. I'm not Brian Gumble. Mm -hmm. OK. Brian Gumble had a very nice upbringing. OK. That's awesome. I'm sure he has some strife in his life, but he ain't Stefan Dingle. Right. OK. And so when I go talk to people in the West End of Birmingham and black people who feel oppressed or um, there's a collective I always said in Birmingham, there was a, um, a collective uh, blanket of complacency over a city because black people. People feel like they don't, you know, it's like, oh, this is the way it is. Where I'm from, well, no, you don't like something, you step up, you speak up. Right. Right. So my job is to give a voice to those people. And, you know, the cliche thing you hear people, why do you want to be, I'm going to give a voice to the voiceless. Oh, my God, really? 
really? <laughs> what does that even mean? Okay. What I want to do is relate to those people and let them know I am them. Okay. I'm about to be MC for this 40th anniversary of a Black Achiever program in Louisville, Kentucky. And I had to, you know, speak to them in their meeting just two days ago. And I told them, me sitting on that news desk is, is, is your extension to me and to being on that news desk. It's not me there. It's you. Okay. So stories that you feel are important, allow me to be the one to give light to it. Okay, to put it on the platform. That's all my job is, is to use my platform to inform the masses about what's happening. Okay. Um, the idea that I'm on TV, that's why, you know, some people are like, oh, you so, oh, you so stuck up with what you do and you, oh, you think you this. No, I don't. I, I just understand. I just don't think about it in the context everyone else does, you know. Now, when I take a step back, as we all do, wow, I'm on TV. I get, I am, wow. When you wake up, you see me. Right. You wow. are a recognizable face. Yes. And here's the plot twist. Not only can I relate to you because of where I'm from, my upbringing, my story that I just explained to you, I was fired from my first three jobs. You 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 basically led into where I was going to go, which is I how I know you were a journalist. Yes. Let's talk about your yeah. your firings, what happened, because, you know, it, it sounds it almost got a little like it sounds like a Lifetime movie, like you lost right. your grandmother, but everything was great after that. Yeah. But there are other parts right. of the story. There are other potholes. Yeah, there are there are so many complexities to life that we realize. And for some people, it hits them all at once and they can't recover. OK, sometimes life will throw a jab at you every time. It's like we you, you know what I'm talking about when I say this. Yes. You just want to have a moment of life where you know what everything is good right but there's always something always right so you know i go to grad school get through that um in fact before you even get to like the graduating columbia my master's thesis for example the impact of grandparents on urban youth wow so this was the extension of grandmother i thank you i'm appreciative of all these blessings what does this mean here I am studying the impact of grandparents on urban youth. I have three different subjects I like have in my master's thesis and I have to tell my story, which I wait till the very end to really get to. Um, and when I wrote it, I was just crying all over the place. Okay. Um, and you realize that grandmothers do what they do because they see hope and a chance. Absolutely. Okay. Despite what their kids may have done wrong or what state of mind they may be in, they give you a chance. And so for me, that was crucial. What can I do? Because I'm not a grandparent yet. I'm not even a father yet. Okay. Um, what can I do to, to, to help people understand the importance of what they do in the role of grandparents? And so Got through that, did that. Uh, I got my first job working at News 12, the Bronx, um, doing this Academy Reporter program. You basically go in for four weeks. You shoot what we would call both sides, which are miniature stories to, for, to air on TV. You're not in front of the camera, but you overshoot it to put together packages, full stories, okay. to show at the end of your four-week trial to see if you can be a freelancer. Okay. Now, New York City, freelance, hey, yeah, that is not too reliable, right? So in me doing that, um, there was uh, an opportunity where I went viral, okay? Let's talk uh, about that. Yeah. So um, it was a hot day in the summer in the Bronx. Uh, had to go into this high-rise apartment building. This woman was turning 100 years old. Um, my job is to go there. It's, you know, it's a, it's a newsworthy story, hyper-local, you know, centenarian. And so I go. Um, I guess me being the news being there, I was a surprise because she didn't know we were coming. So interviewed her daughter, her granddaughter. Um Got old pictures of her shooting that. Um, that was just waiting for her to show up. I'm thinking she ain't going to be talking, nothing. Oh, she was just as vibrant as ever. Had on this pink velour sweatsuit, uh, sunglasses, smoking a cigarette, and had a shot in her hand. I said, hey, you earned it, right? So I said, you know what? As a good journalist, as they taught me at Columbia, you know, go for the good sound bite. Who would want to hear from the 100-year-old? What's the secret, right? Right. So we sit her down and, hey, ma'am, what does it feel like to be 100? She goes, how's your dick hanging? <laughs> 
And for three straight minutes, I'm trying to get this woman to just answer the question. And it was nothing but about dicks. Okay. That's it. How's your dick hanging? How big is yours? I like the big ones and the little ones. And then afterwards, we realized this woman has dementia. But the family is in there and they're laughing, right? It's a fun moment. It's a fun but moment. But for your purpose of well, trying well, to build well, a serious well, journalistic career. Well, yes. It, it, and, and like, even to the point of like, you know, well, mom, you didn't teach us nothing about dicks. You taught us about God. And she's saying, well, the good stuff is And so I take this all the way back to the station. I'm like, y'all, y'all got to see this interview. Like, look what just happened. Right. And so... They were like, we, we're not going to run the story. I was like, well, we can still do the story. We don't have to put her in it. They were like, no, forget it. Don't worry about it. Uh, I had this footage. I consulted with a couple of folks. Um, you know, my one of my closest line brothers. I'm like, oh, do you think like you think we can make money from this? Like if it goes like viral, because, you know, in this idea of social media, right. this is hilarious. So uh, my one line brother, he's like, oh, well, maybe. I didn't think he would do anything with it. So I didn't think of it. Then it was also a photographer at the station who thought it was hilarious. He wanted to use hold my memory card. I'm like, why do you need to see my memory card? But at the same time, I saw on the computer next to me, he was uploading the video. Mm. That's the X factor that a lot of people don't know about. And I just don't talk about it because I was kind of like, what can I control? Not what someone else did. Um, and so two weeks go by. I ain't thinking nothing about the video. I wake up on 4th of July weekend on a Friday around 1030. My phone is blowed up because this already has 3 million views on World Star Hip Hop. And once you're at that point, it's out of your control. So now we're talking about copyright issues. Right. We're talking about footage that never aired on TV being released to the public in a raw sense, which is a problem. Right. This family is calling my phone because their family members in North Carolina and all these other places around the country has seen this video of their family member talking about dicks in such a state. Right. So I had to wait through a long weekend because it was a holiday weekend. My boss is like, yeah, let's meet on Tuesday. And so on Monday, I'm like ironing and pressing my best suit because I'm like, whoop, yeah, this is supposed to be when we were supposed to be talking about how well I was doing and see if I get a chance to freelance. And so we go, uh, so I'm ironing my stuff and Jamie Kimmel's on. It's on Jamie Kimmel. It's on national television. I'm shook. A half hour later, it's on Tosh.0. I'm just like, <sighs> It's not looking too good. So we go in, pulls me to the office. She's actually crying because she's like, your story is amazing. You're just such a motivated, ambitious guy. And it just hurts my soul to like have to do this. But she was in a position where did she risk her job or let go of this young journalist who probably will get back on his feet. And that's pretty much what she said. Yeah. And if you know anything about the entertainment business, right? once you've become poison, they're going to separate themselves yep. from you immediately. Yep. Nobody's risking sponsors and, you know, legal issues and all that. Right other stuff. Right. And so I was okay. You know, like I walked away from it like, I'm okay. I just became an alpha man. I pledged in my fraternity. And I was like, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to enjoy this Neo summer. It's going to be great. New York City, summertime. Actually, I turned down a job from Waterloo, Iowa to go to this News 12 job. So understandably, I was in a sense of crisis as an right. ambitious person because when you graduate from Columbia, the catch 22 is you're graduating with stellar colleagues who are excelling immediately. Like doing amazing things. Like right. As soon as they take the caffeine gown off. NBC News. Mm-hmm. New York Times, BuzzFeed, Time Magazine. Some of them already got their own documentaries that are now on Netflix. Like, what What? What the hell? Like, right. I'm like, okay, um, I'm already off to a bad start. Everyone's going you... to know me as the guy from the viral video where she's talking about, you know what? But were you angry at any point at the guy who uploaded it? Or did you just let that go immediately? I let it go because I felt I, I'm, I'm also big on self-responsibility mm-hmm. and cause and effect. And 
I don't know if I just had never brought it up or if I didn't upload it into the system. Hey, maybe he's talking about something different. I don't try to question God's timing and his things that he allows to happen. Um, but nonetheless, that allowed me to organically continue to cultivate relationships here in New York City and um, met, uh, well, didn't meet, but, you know, one of my good friends was a part of the National Association of Black Journalists. Um, his name is Michael Feeney. He passed away uh, a few years ago. Um, was always a connector. He lived in Jersey. He, you know, uh, worked at the New York Daily News. He's, he was a president of the chapter here in New York. And he connected me with my friend who I actually just saw yesterday, who now is a, he, well, he was then, but uh, is now more seasoned uh, as a producer at Good Morning America. And so he connected me with this guy. And so we're getting to chop it up. And he knows person at Inside Edition. He's like, oh, well, maybe we can get you there. You could be a story coordinator. So I worked at Inside Edition for a good solid month or two. And it was the hardest job I've ever had. Because really? I don't really like entertainment like that. I don't really care. You know, you know my story. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't care if Gwyneth Paltrow has a license for her moped. Like, I, who cares, right? But you're job was to go and get these stories that you see on Daily Mail and these other tabloid websites. And your job is to find these people so you can help set up a story for Inside Edition. So you can have crews go. Okay. Okay. I even had to set up Sexiest Man in DC, this whole like like a uh, segment. So I had to like go through trying to uh, help like contact the guys that were eligible or whatever. And so it was hard because it was very cutthroat. It's kind of like, look, we need you to get this done. And they don't really care how you do it. You just do it. And that taught me how to really have resilience and, and kind of some um, tenacity to just sure. go get the story. So that job was pretty much kind of an at-will job. And so, yeah, they told me on like a Friday at like 3.30. Yeah, hey, thanks for your you services. Don't, you don't need to come back. <laughs> and I'm like shook because I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what this is going to look like now. So hopped on it had already some th had some things in motion because you know that's how we do. We can foresee right. things happening. And I get a call from CBS News in Washington, D.C., their bureau, the network bureau. And they said, hey, we wanted to um, set you up with an interview to be a news associate, which is uh, kind of a program where they teach you how to be a producer. Their program isn't that great, but, you know, I did it. I'm like, oh, good, great. I'm going to move back home to Baltimore, stay with my sister, and I just commuted to D.C. Did that job until about April, okay? And sure, got to go to the White House. Saw President Obama uh, commemorate LeBron James in the Miami Heat when they wow. won the championship. And it's like, there's Obama. Woo! Yes, I'm in the White House. I Thank God it was then. Yes. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm getting to be on the steps of the Supreme Court because I'm waiting for this um, court artist, sketch artist named Bill Hennessy to come out with his sketch so I can run the tape back to the bureau. Or I'm on Capitol Hill, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it, it, that experience was awesome. But what I was doing, I was news gathering for the actual correspondence. And I got so like, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want my face to be in front of right. this. So Fort Hood shooting happened back then in 2014. And um, it was a breaking news situation. And from the bureau in D.C., it's not a lot you can do like there's things you can help with and I remember scouring through social media giving them updates on what's happening so once the situation was subdued I'm like alright cool Um, I'll leave at 7.30 so my train leaves at 7.45 I gotta go because I gotta go to Baltimore 45 minute ride and I gotta watch my niece they didn't like that too much I got an email late that night oh how dare you leave in a breaking news situation and as a news journalist now yes I understand you, you understand right but nobody gave me the benefit of the doubt I came back the next day I was fired because they didn't feel like oh I could succeed in any other capacity and I'm like damn like off one error you, that was you didn't leave early moment. right that was a, that teachable, was a teachable moment, moment right right but it but it goes to show you as a black man who's from the city who even with a degree from Columbia, which has its own staying power where people see that and they, they treat you a little differently. It's almost like they, your, stand, your standard's higher. Right. You can't mess up, right? Or as we say at work, you got to be perfect, all right? Don't gather in twos and threes, all right? Mm -hmm. Two at a time at most, all right? But right. Keep it moving, right? Um, and so a black woman was sitting across to me telling me that, well, we don't know if you could succeed in any other capacity. I said, wow, I was shook. 
Because you left on time. Like, you didn't even leave early. Yeah. And then I ended up working at Planet Fitness for two months. Okay, wait. So you went from Inside Edition doing kind of like stories that you didn't care about. Yeah. Um, pop culture stuff. But got to CBS News. Yeah. Well-respected platform. Yeah. Fired. And then Planet Fitness. Planet Fitness. Talk about humility, right? Humbling yourself. Spraying down those purple and Spr- yellow. Spraying them down. Cleaning equipment. the locker room. Uh, having p- basic people come in thinking this is LA Fitness. And it's like, sir, <laughs> ma'am, this is $20 for a black car membership and you're already talking about that's too high what are we talking about <laughs> and i got two degrees and i'm like in tv news and i'm working with colleagues who this is life for them humbling so all the while that's happening guess what i'm doing i'm grinding i'm putting my my clips that i had from when i was working at news 12 which i kept they thought oh give us that back uh no and i use that as a reel and i applied to 64 places 64 64 places got maybe a couple of phone calls from like rochester thought that was promising dude never called me back after that first phone call um, a couple other places some places I didn't want to be but it was like it wasn't the position wasn't open um, they was just trying to test the words oh we might be hiring in a few months I, bro I need to I need a job now you what need we something doing? today yes so so it took the 65th was a job I never even applied for uh, this guy who I knew through an ABJ um uh, he knew when I got fired from CBS and he was like oh I know the assistant news director in Charlottesville um you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna go apply online and I'm gonna just see what happened. Boom, guy calls me. As soon as I get him on the phone, after look, after 64 times, you know, if you get him on the phone, you know how to solidify the deal. Absolutely. Hey, sir, yes, you know, I was actually gonna be in the neighborhood of Charlottesville, <laughs> which is three hours away. I was hoping I could stop by. That speech is perfected after okay. that many rejections. Right. Yes. And so he's like, oh yeah, sure, come on in. I went in. It was their food truck day, and I already knew it was off to a good start because I'm sitting in his office, and he offered me some of his food. And I'm like, oh, absolutely. Tell me more, okay? Next day, I'm back at Planet Fitness. I actually was there early for work, doing my workout. Get the phone call. Hey, we offered you the job. Wow. So no and more then, serving pizza at Planet right, Fitness, which I still don't which understand. Which I'm still, <laughs> still confused by, but I was there for it. I ate it. Free meal. Don't understand okay? the whole pizza day at Planet Fitness. So, anyway. that, so that was two firings, right? Mm-hmm. Third firing was at this job in Charlottesville, which by which Charlottesville is a... Is it's the home of UVA, yes. home of Thomas Jefferson, and we now know it as something a little bit different because of what happened yes. um, a couple of years ago. But in that year that I worked there in 2014, three big national stories happened. We had a missing UVA student who was abducted and murdered. Um, that was like a, a good month search. So that was huge for my reel and learning how to be a journalist. Then we had the Rolling Stone article about the gang rape with the fraternity that was there that ended up being wrong. Right. But it created a lot of controversy. So boom, got that. And we had a African-American scholar who was like thrown to the ground, face bloodied by these ABC agents. And that was another story. I remember all three of yeah. those stories. And yes. So, and so as that news has happened, I'm like, all right, I'm on my way. Richmond, Virginia, which is only an hour down the street. I get a call from them like, hey, we would love for you to come work for us down here in Richmond. And I'm only a, barely a year in, I'm like, talk to my boss, like, hey, can, can I go to Richmond? I mean, that would be a good market jump for me. They're like, well, no, we're going to, we, we want you to stay. We still, you know, you, we feel like you're very talented. You're going to get a lot of offers. Matter of fact, you know, we're going to put you Monday through Friday and we're going to give you some anchoring. And I'm like, okay, cool, great. Love some improvement. Um, a couple of weeks later, um, I'm in my edit bay. And so there are always annoying people you're going to work with. Uh, there was this Caucasian producer who uh, happened to be gay. Um, and I only say that because it's really not important to me, but it came, became a factor in what happened. And so he was always defiant. Like he was always the guy where it's just like, dude, just follow the rules. Like, don't be annoying. So engineering folks, they never want us to park in front of the building mm-hmm. um, because when we have sales guests, like you want to treat them with the utmost. So engineer guy comes, he goes, oh, Tiff, this guy, he's parking up in front. He's like, you know, I should freaking like 
flatten his tire or whatever. And I was like, how did you do that? Like, what are you gonna slash? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, you could do it like as a joke. So you take a pebble and you, you put it in the in the, in the the cap and then you screw it back on and it's just easy to deflate out. And then once he realizes it, he'll learn his lesson and we'll help him fill the tire back up and then boop, go. So I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I never thought that deeply about that. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try this. I went out there and tried it. You did it. I tried it. And knew full well that there's a camera in front of our building because I, I I literally looked at it as a prank. So in the nutshell, this is a prank that gone that went wrong. Mm-hmm. So I tried. I'm like, oh, this ain't working. So I just screwed it back on, and I'm thinking like the, the I thought I got the pebbles out, but it was one still in there. So I go home. I come back the next day. It's the day before I go on vacation to Houston, and. Uh, at the end of my day, as I'm leaving, it's like, did you know Tyler got a flat tire last night? I'm like, no, it worked. <laughs> and you're still thinking this is I'm just like, this a is, joke. You know, yeah. joke, whatever. So I'm like, oh, I'm going on vacation. He'll be fine. You know, it wasn't anything egregious, whatever. I'm on vacation. And they're like, bro, like now he's trying to like, they're wanting to look at cameras and see like if someone, this was like a, a hate crime. And, and you know, was he targeted because he was gay? And I'm One like, flat tire that hell? wasn't even slashed. I'm like, I'm like. If I knew this was going to happen, I'd have stayed around and be like, yeah, bro, you need to learn your lesson, no park in front. But that's, what, that's not what happened. So the unfortunate part was that I was on vacation for the rest of the week. I was going to return to the next week. So I didn't think, oh, call my boss and create a problem. I'm thinking, like, it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's going to be fine. Because I knew what my intention was. Whole time, that whole week, they had pretty much conducted their investigation of what they wanted to do, made a decision without even talking to me. And so when I came back, they already knew that they were going to fire me. Right. And they've so, got this yeah. file ready. So, HR is so, ready I, for you. But I'm going in there thinking like, oh, I'm going to be fine. Like, I'm going to explain them. It's going to be cool. My GM was amazing. To this day, still the best GM I've ever had. But it was in that moment, he was very stern with me. Mm-hmm. And he was all, had this bravado and fired me. And I learned after the fact that corporate had already made that mandate that he had to because of a legal, right. you know, issue. They didn't want that problem. Although it was so off base because I never discriminated against the guy. I'm like, my mother's a lesbian. What do we, like, Bob and I, you know, discriminate. So um, afterwards, a lot of people gave him shit for that. Okay. And a, a week later, I had a voicemail from him and I, he pretty much was like, Hey, Stefan, I, I kind of want to help you find your next job. You know, it wasn't right what happened. I should not have, you know, went about that in that way. Um, you know, wish we could have talked things out. Yeah, I made a mistake mm-hmm. and I want to help you continue to be a great journalist because you're owed that. We should not have done that. So here he is. The guy who just fired you is helping me find my job. And sure enough, I'm going, walking back to Richmond and I'm like, hey, I know I said I couldn't take the job, but hey, I'm available again. Had to wait a whole month. Mm-hmm. I said, listen, it was a black woman too. Her name is Kelly. I said, no matter what, even if you don't give me this job, can you just let me know? Because that was important. I didn't want the 64 thing to happen. Right. Right. And sure enough, she hit me back. She hit me back. And at the same time, he was doing work in his connection with this news director, buddy of my, uh, his, uh, that was a news director in Little Rock, Arkansas. And I'm shook. I'm like, I don't know. Shit, Little Rock. I'm from Baltimore. It's right. a lot, but I need a job. I'm willing. So they flew me out. They said, hey, this is great. I learned something while in the interview. I mean, they wine and dined me. Okay. Um, First off, forty six thousand dollars. I'm like, oh yes. <laughs> I was only making, making twenty five. Right. Yes. I was only making twenty five. So I said, shoot, we are we out here about to double the sale. Oh, twenty three. I made twenty three thousand. So I'm doubling the mm-hmm. salary. Hell yeah. So the new director from Richmond, she said, hey, I'm going in a different direction. But look, I really love your work. I'm gonna send your stuff out to all the news directors in my company. Boom. Eight emails in my inbox. Uh, Columbus, Ohio, San Francisco at some independent station. You name it, it was there. Birmingham, Alabama comes out. They call me right away. Hey, 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 what's going on? You know, um, we know you're in that process, you know, but we want to fly you out like next week. And we went there two whole days. They took me to a baseball game, wine me, dine me. There's a lot of red flags. I was like, well, there's no black people here. 
There's no black men on air here. It's opportunity. So, right. You're, you can bring representation. So I turned down Little Rock, which they they were pissed. I mean, news director unfollowed me on Twitter, which was a big deal back then. I'm like, damn, is that? I get like serious that? when they unfollow and you. So, and then the only thing I asked the Birmingham was, well, can you match the salary that they offer? They said, oh, yeah, sure. We'll give it to you. There you go. And so that's how I got to Birmingham and that changed the course of how I thought. I said, I have to get serious about my career and really use my gifts and my story to really be a factor. So being a history major, oh yeah. I would say I would always say I would want to work in the South once. And it pushes you outside of your comfort zone. Sure. That's the way that's literally the tall tale way to, to hold yourself accountable in life. And people don't realize that. That's why they fester in what they're comfortable in and then they look down five years in a row and they're still doing the same stuff. Right. There's nothing exciting that happens. How can you push yourself out of your comfort zone and pe- bring people up with you? So when people think I got it like that or whatever, or they see where I'm at now, it's like, well, you have no idea. You have right. no idea. You know? But so you've given us like all these examples of overcoming yeah. and these pieces of your story who make you who you are mm-hmm. and help you to think of a new plan when something bad happens. Um, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. We're going to yeah. ask for one more story. Describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. And when you say extraordinary on an ordinary day, you mean like where it might have been a little bit tougher than most times? It could be anything. It could be a serious valley experience or it could be just a tough moment that you had to push through um, and actually, move beyond. Right. Actually, right now, it, this is it, I'm currently going through one. And I know you've heard me talk to you for the past hour now. Mm-hmm. About all all these things, you wonder, well, what could be going wrong now? A lot of different sections of my life are coming together. My brother, my 24-year-old brother, was shot in March. Um, He was doing well. I mean, he had a job. Quit the job to go back to the streets and was shot. Quit to go back to the streets? Yes, because that's... How you make money, you know, is you know. And how long was he back when, before he got shot? Um, I would say a couple months. Okay. And you know, the sad part about this story is that you know, shot with your own weapon. Wow. Shot with your own weapon, and by the grace of God, him shielding his hand, it wasn't a fatal wound. He got shot in the back of his head. He got shot in his wrist, and he got shot in his lower back. And now he's in a rehab center and has been. He was shot three days before my birthday, and so I'm in Atlanta, Georgia trying to celebrate with my friends and boom, you're getting this phone call. Your mother, you actually, you feel horrible because your mother had called you the night prior, but you were out and you think, because my mom always butt dials me. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, whatever. The next day I'm on my way to brunch thinking everything's great. And listen to this voice, my mother's in a panic. And my cousin is hitting me up on Instagram. I'm like, oh, sorry to hear about that. What, what, what are you doing? What? What, what? I'm shook. So I'm now having to go back to work at this new job I just got that I'm only three months into after just coming off a week vacation and I might have to be gone again, okay, to go be the patriarch of my family, okay? And so I'm like really lost. My mom is kind of trying to recover from being an alcoholic and a drug abuser. Um, She had liver cancer last year. Um, You know, my my sister who is a year younger than I, you know, she's bisexual. Um, She also has my niece who's now nine and she's like my world. And so there's a lot of different things that are going on. I'm trying to keep my career afloat, trying to prosper in this new season and adjust. And so it was that moment of my brother being shot where I think for the first time in my life, white people were like, whoa, this is really what you have on your shoulders. And my station, for what it's worth, they stepped up to the plate. They paid for me to fly home, gave me the time to be home. Mm-hmm. Um, did rush me, you know, uh, was very comforting. And there I was, you know, helping my brother out, you know, doing things I would do as an elder sibling when I was younger, doing things I did for my grandmother when she wasn't able to do something, whether it came to, you know, washing her up, or helping to wipe her own butt. Right. Okay. Um, those are the things that I was 
you know, I think God and life was bringing me back to to humble me that was happening. So you talk about those having to be extraordinary. You know, I didn't hide it. Being a news anchor, you're part of the public life. I'm a public figure, whether I like it or not. Right. And so when I put that picture up on my news anchor page and people responded to this day, every time I see someone, how's your brother doing? Okay. Um, and I sometimes have to suppress that because I can't allow that to take me out and mess up my destiny for what I am doing in my life because I'm here to now try to create a family. Okay. I want to have a long life with, you know, a woman I love and, and, you know, have children. I can say who look like me, you know, and like, yes. I can set on a good precedent. And so that almost now is a cross section with my now fiance who was my girlfriend I met, you know, when I first got to Birmingham, her birthday, or, or I should say my grandmother passed away September 30th, 2011. I met my uh, girlfriend, um, you know, four years later. Um, and we're getting to know each other. And I tell her, uh, you know, I'm asking her things about it. You know, what's your favorite color? What do you like to eat? You know, what's your birthday? What's your sign? Her birthday is September 30th. Wow. I'm like, shut again. I'm like, my grand, I, my biggest fear was my grandmother was not going to be there to see my success, success and be able to approve of the woman I would marry. And here she has sent this young lady on the day that I mourn. And I cry and I kind of, I kind of take it in. And she said, nope, I'm going to send you somebody whose day of birth you're going to celebrate instead of you being sad about my day of leaving here because I'm really not leaving you. So bringing joy on joy a day all day that has been a day of grief. Was she saying voicemail? Joy all day. Joy all day. And so you fast forward. And again, this is what I'm talking to you about in this past year with the, the happened to one brother and all this. And I'm at a new job and i am got all these new responsibilities. And I decided that this was the time to get engaged. And so on September 30th of this year, um, I marked that moment as a moment of merging those two worlds and, and, and that my realities. And literally to this day is the most mostly draining day next to her being gone out of my life because I have her family. I'm trying to coordinate my family. Oh, people pissed me off leading up to that. Engagement. Oh, of course. <laughs> but um, I had it all coordinated. And again, I'm not really an emotional person, but maybe I'm just stunting myself. Maybe I really am. I just don't really express it out. Um, but I just signified it by doing a balloon release and trying to merge these two worlds uh, to, to hopefully have me uh, have happier days. And so, boom, let it go. And then I get down on my knee. Wow. And literally... For the first time, my girlfriend, now fiance, has seen me cry for the first time because I can't even get the words out. And I'm telling her how she's worth it and how I feel like my grandmother sent her there to me because she is understanding. She's accepted me for exactly who I am in all its shapes and forms from day one. Okay. Um, she's a nurse. You know, she's caring. She's loving. Almost to the point where I could see how a, 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 a ain't dude could take advantage of a girl like mm -hmm. her. And oftentimes, I'm telling her, hold me accountable. Hold me accountable. You know, this brash guy who has it all going for himself could really think highly of himself at times you know we all do right we okay? have our moments but is also very in tune with the humility of his life and his circumstances and asking you to hold him accountable because anytime she has something that's wrong i stop what i'm doing i make sure i fix it in fact i try to make sure i don't put her in a position to have something be wrong you know we talk a lot about life we talk a lot about family what how many kids we want to have you know what we want to do you know and so you merge all those things and have all those things collide. I told her, I said, I don't want to talk wedding planning until after Thanksgiving. And so I'm trying to come deal with all this. And I went to therapy. I'm in, I'm going to my third and final therapy session 
this coming week. We talk about therapy a lot on this show. Huge yeah. proponents of it. Yeah. And, 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 and it's like what we've gathered out of this, and I'm much better now. Mm-hmm. But I was like, you know, I'm a very black and white guy. I look at things very black and white. That's how we all do, ambitious people. Look, bruh, either this going to happen or that's going to happen. All this gray matter, I ain't got time to be worried right. about that. What it is or what it ain't, right? But when your heart is invested in something and there's that feeling in the pit of your stomach that all of your mind's black and white and your heart is saying otherwise, you've got to take a moment, take a step back and process, okay, and understand. And I'm really realizing how African-Americans in particular, we suppress that. We think, oh, pray it out, honey. Pray, do this. You understand how many gospel songs I went through, how many runs, how many yoga sessions, meditations. Oh, I'm just going to go to work. <laughs> and ain't none of that work this time. No, sometimes you need professional help, period. And so I sit across from this white lady who just be listening <laughs> to me talk. Wait, you went to a white lady, though? I didn't really have a choice. I just need somebody. <laughs> like, she was like, oh, well, I can get you in a couple weeks. I said, oh, no, I need you tomorrow. <laughs> Now I go in there and she and she's great, you know. And so that's and that and that's and that's how you know that's the that's the moment I'm at. And so I feel like to kind of wrap, I'm now exhausting myself into what life is going to be. Yes, you know, I'm when I leave Louisville, Kentucky. I hope that my dream is realized, which it can be, and becoming a network correspondent. Um, I'm hoping that one day I'll create a nonprofit to uh, help grandparents who are helping or raising grandkids to provide scholarships, uh, to provide support resources to ha- allow them to continue to do what they do and to share my grandmother's story because my story is just one of many other people. I hope to one day write a book. You, you will. Know? Um, and maybe even do a documentary one day to just show people because I think the higher my platform goes, the more unbelievable the story becomes. Right. And so when you can put it up there and you can bring all these people with you, I mean, that's 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 what life is worth living, okay? And, and there's at the no- end of the day, when it's all done, all we got, all we waiting for is what? The, the master to say what? Well done. Well done. That's it. And there's no doubt in my mind that you are going to accomplish all of that. And I just think, I just think God, he factors in my humanity. Right. In his blessing on me, you know, so that, that, that is what keeps me humble on a day-to-day basis when I have to wake up at 2.30 in the morning. I'm, I'm proud to be sitting there on a news desk, mm-hmm. 4.30 in the morning and, and being, a, uh, being impactful to, to people who look like me and otherwise. And I'm proud to have known you now. Wow. Proud to have met you. This has been an amazing conversation. Before we wrap up, where can people find you online? Um, I, I'm pretty basic. So you can find me uh, Stefan underscore Dingle on Twitter. Um, S-T-E-P-H-O-N underscore D-I-N-G-L-E. I know you're going to laugh at that last name, but you'll never forget it. Um, some of that on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and you can find me at my Facebook anchor page, Stefan Dingle, W-O-K-Y. And uh, yeah, join the journey. I'm going to keep those pages as long as I'm doing what I'm doing and I'm breathing. So. To our listeners, please make sure you go follow Stefan online because, first of all, not only do we need representation, but we need authentic representation and someone who's willing to highlight our issues. That is so important, and I'm so happy to know that you're approaching your responsibility as a journalist in that way. And lastly, before we get out of here, to our folks, 26ers, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER. 